Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome to Muskoka Drawdown. I'm your host, Frank Young. I'm here on behalf of CAM, Climate Action Muskoka. Drawdown is a future point in time when levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere stop climbing and start to decline. Canada is the world's fourth largest oil producer at 4.5 million barrels a day. We net export 1.9 million barrels a day. We have the world's third largest oil reserves. So Canada has a particular challenge in reaching our climate change commitments. My guest today is Andrew Van Eiderson. Since 2005, Andrew has managed the Green Budget Coalition for the federal government, which has grown to the point where billions of dollars of the federal government budget are there because and dedicated because of the recommendations of Andrew's organization, the Green Budget Coalition. Andrew, welcome to uh, Muskoka Drawdown. Thanks, Frank. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I first met you, Andrew, when you were a student at York. Uh, You were doing your master's there. Can you tell us a little bit uh, what was your focus when you were working, when you were uh, at York? Sure, Frank. Uh, I did my master's in environmental studies at York, focused on ecological fiscal reform. And so I did a particularly large study on green taxation, how to shift the tax uh, program. Great. So that really set you up perfectly for um, the green. Now, what, what, did the Green Budget Coalition exist uh, before you were hired to, uh, to start that, to, to work there? It did. It was started, I understand, in 1999. And the, the story goes that Paul Martin, when he was finance minister, was in a pub with some environmentalists and told them that, he should, that they should get together and tell him how to green the budget. <laughs> um, and what makes the Green Budget Coalition is really unique in a number of ways, but in part, it, it, it exists because the federal budget is usually the most important federal document of the year for the environment, but it's also the hardest to influence. And finance doesn't want to meet with 20 different groups. So we come together and put together one set of collective recommendations on behalf of Canada's environmental community. So do you actually meet with the, in the pre-budget negotiations? Or, but I also know you produce a report once a year that, that you release. But, uh, so what is the mechanics of uh, your input into the federal government budget? Oh, there's a, there's, a, there's a long story behind that. One of the interesting things about working on the federal budget is that, in theory, there is a federal budget every year, which was disproved in 2020. But um, so we have an annual cycle that kind of parallels the federal budget, the government's internal cycle to develop the budget. And we meet the budgets usually in March and we meet in early April and decide on our recommendations for the next year's budget. We put together a first set of recommendations that we then meet with senior officials um, in June and hear their feedback on how we can improve them and give them early insights. Then we finalize our recommendations over the summer and in the fall we produce our beautiful new recommendations which you can find on our website greenbudget.ca and then we meet at the political level with 
uh, ministers and political advisors and all the different political parties to promote them. And after that, uh, we then meet with the finance minister and the deputy minister of finance to provide extra support. That that is uh, that's fabulous. I, I'm I'm very jealous. It sounds like a fabulous, a, a very exciting process. I'm, although it may be terribly frustrated when you get repudiated with <laughs> with some of your ideas. But actually, let's back up a little bit. How many other organizations are in the Green Budget Coalition? And I don't know. I don't even know what to ask. Like, what is what is the relative prowess of these organizations, and how much clout do you have? I mean. Is it is it clout intellectual clout or or um, or just uh, or how many voters can you deliver to a green budget uh, leaning budget, et cetera? I'm not sure how to even define this. Hmm. It's an interesting question. There's multiple answers to it. Um, the coalition now the membership has varied a bit, but we now have 21 of Canada's leading environmental groups as members that collectively have over 1 million members and supporters and volunteers. And they range right from Greenpeace to Ducks Unlimited and include many of the big groups you would know, such as CPAWS, the David Suzuki Foundation, the Pembina Institute, uh, Nature Canada, um, and also the International Institute for Sustainable Development, uh, ECITER, the Canadian Environmental Law Association. And so, I would say that our influence is a combination of, I mean, partly there's a package, there's sort of a branding combination that all these groups work together. And so that, that gives us clout right there. That, that really makes a big difference in opening the door that they say all these groups are coming together. We'll, we'll meet with you. But also we've, there's roughly 50 people from those groups that work together to draft our recommendations. And we've built a reputation of writing detailed quality recommendations that have dollar values so that they actually there's actual specific budget asks and that we listen to them. We've been meeting with them for years. And so they know that these aren't just recommendations coming out of the blue, but that they integrate the best advice we can find. So those are all, and, and they know that we listen and engage in a collaborative fashion and show up and can be concise and, can, and within an hour can talk to them about a whole bunch of different recommendations. So. Those are all aspects of what has built the coalitions. Uh, that sounds that sounds that sounds uh, like really uh, important and powerful. Um, just a, a one question: How much? Uh, what percentage of the budget recommendations are actually taxation versus procurement of the federal government, for instance? Um, I mean, the vast majority of our recommendations are spending recommendations. So the money that the government would spend, and, and to be clear, we're not asking for money for ourselves. Um, no, I understood. Yeah. Um, so they're not. We don't. We have only touched on procurement, but there are things like like our. We have five feature recommendations this year, and one of them, the first one, is around zero emissions electricity and funding driving renewable energy development and a cleaner grid, um, and also around building retrofits and supporting retrofits for all residences and for low-income housing and indigenous communities. So they're largely spending measures. And then there's some around reducing fossil fuel subsidies and reducing subsidies that don't, that work against biodiversity. Um, yeah. And some of them are multi-billion dollars. And some of them are just a few million dollars, but are strategic little pieces like climate data data to um, like sustainable finance is a big, is an important piece of a 
cleaner future, but there's structural pieces that need to be there. Yeah. Um, uh, I was just, uh, people say procurement is huge. How, how much does the federal government spend on just, uh, I don't know, um, buildings and, um, and, and just servicing the interest of the federal government's, uh, what do you call it, um, their normal day-to-day uh, activities, that must be huge as well. So you might have some influence on that, right? Because, you know, for greening buildings, et cetera, and transportation, federal, <laughs> government, uh, federal government vehicles, uh, and, uh, you know, ocean going in wharfs and like uh, waterways. There must be a lot of, it's very multifaceted. I'm, I'm sort of boggled by all the uh, potentialities of the work that the Green Budget Coalition could get engaged in. Um, it's absolutely true that there's the government spends a huge amount of money on daily on procurement and small things and big purchases. I don't honestly have the number close to my head. I imagine the federal government's overall budget is over two hundred billion dollars a year. Yeah. Um, and and part of the challenge of, I mean, part of what keeps the coalition together is that we work on budget recommendations and things that involve effectively pieces that could be in the federal budget. And so regulation and procurement are kind of beyond their, I mean, okay. it all relates, but we don't, so we, procurement is more about how we spend money that we've already allocated. So in, the okay. coalition hasn't usually delved into that area, but I certainly understand there's a lot of um, promising developments within the government on those areas. Yeah. The, the, the other component which you talked about is taxation, um, green taxes. I always think I always think that governments should um, use the tax structure as a policy tool because it makes a huge difference. Taxation is roughly one third of the GDP. So if government shifts the taxation to you know, dirty production and, and dirty lifestyle uh, options, it would make a huge difference uh, because it's, it, it commands such a massive amount of the GDP. For instance, the, the climate change, the, the carbon tax, of course, the carbon tax, of course, has been a, been a roller coaster ride for, you know, 10, 10 plus years. Um, so you probably feed in a fair bit into suggestions on how to shift the taxes onto the dirty stuff and not the clean stuff. Yeah, I totally agree on using the tax system as a way to shift economic activity. I mean, my, my major paper for York, going back, sort of tying back to the start, was around tax shifting. And I think in May, carbon pricing is the big, as far as I can tell, the big opportunity in terms of pricing um, externalities and in generating revenue. And beyond that, you're looking at a lot of much smaller opportunities, which are more targeted in terms of behavior change. Are, are there like would you get into macroeconomics like looking at um, as soon as you like income taxes for instance are um, you know basically they punish people for having a job and business taxes basically punish businesses for being successful whereas it seems to me that sort of taxes should be on the use and abuse of nature and not on people and not on sales and not on businesses. I mean, that is the sort of a, a right, a right green approach. That's one that I, I'm always been intrigued by. I just want a quick comment on that. If you, if you have such, such a thing at handy in your brain. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you in, in principle, absolutely about 
um, shifting taxation more to the depletion of natural resources and to pollution. I'm not sure that we could functionally fund the whole Canadian budget purely on that basis, but um, in general, I support that principle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Tell me a little bit about the, what do they call it for buildings? The the code, the building code. That's another fa fabulous one that just means, uh, you know, lines, uh, lines in a budget uh, or recommendations that can make a huge difference to climate change. Yeah, well, again, that's a piece that's outside the federal budget. So I and the coalition don't deal with it a lot, but it's it's a critical piece to having much. I mean, buildings and transportation and oil and gas are the big three emitters of greenhouse gases in Canada. And and the building code is a key piece. And the part of the challenge of the building code is that I believe there are different building codes in every province and territory. That's right. I think it is mostly provincial level. I'm not sure how much the federal government uh, sets building codes as well. Um, all right, let's let's move on to uh, the tar sands. <laughs> what do you? Let's uh, do you guys. I guess again, you you recommend budget things like uh, you know carbon sequestration and such, or is carbon sequestration snake oil in your opinion? Again, we go at it through budget measures, so tax measures. So we've worked to end um, subsidies to the oil sands and and to oil and gas in general. Um, so I mean, so the coalition's views are just go as far as saying no subsidies to oil and gas, no subsidies to oil sands. I mean, I'm 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 a, I'm a mixed um, thoughts on on. CCS because I, you know, I see the theory of planting it in the ground and I know lots of people are really keen on it, but I kind of wonder how, how long it stays under and, and when it, if it, if it all seeps up at later, then what's the point of it all? We've just wasted billions of dollars. It's just, it's just a big delusional subsidy to the oil, to the oil industry. <laughs> Uh, okay, Andrew, we have to take a break here. So uh, uh, this is a wonderful discussion. I'm so pleased to have you on the show today. And uh, I hope everyone comes back after the break. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Young here for the Climate Change Muskoka on the Carb uh, Muskoka Drawdown. And my very special guest today is Andrew Bernaderson, who lives in Ottawa, and which is handy because he works for the Green Budget Coalition that has a significant influence on the federal budget. Andrew, you say in your uh, your bio that the, the influence you have is up to like $20 billion sometimes. That's that's pretty significant in the federal budget. Yeah, well, that's a cumulative number, but there's been, I mean, even over the last two years, there's been um, over $20 billion announced in federal funding for things related to the coalition's recommendations. So. Um, to support building retrofits on uh, incentives for buying electric vehicles, increased um, international climate finance funding, more funding for nature-based solutions. Those are some of the key areas. Yeah. Um, obviously, you heard about there's a, a sort of a plan by the environmental community in Canada to go to 25% um, preserved uh, land and water by 2025 and 30% 
of uh, the Canada's water and land should be preserved and off limits to all development by 2030. I, I'm sure there's a pretty big uh, item attached to that. Does the Green Budget Coalition uh, feed into that uh, discussion? Yes, absolutely. Good question. Um, as I mentioned, we have five feature recommendations, and one of them this year is around land and ocean protection, which is um, of which a major driver is meeting those 20, 2025 and 2030 targets. And one of the financially the biggest ask is for roughly $18 billion over eight years. But really what it is, is we need permanent ongoing funding for, for the creation and management of protected areas. And part of it is, you know, it's like if you, if you buy a bicycle, you need to have money around to actually repair the bicycle over time if you can't fix it yourself. So we want to, we're, we're in the past, we've tried to create protected areas, but we didn't set aside money to actually maintain them. And part of the challenge is that a lot of these protected areas are not federal lands, they're provincial lands, or they may have corporate or indigenous involvement. And if you go to these entities and say, we want you to protect this land, but we're not offering you any money to maintain it, then they're less likely to be receptive and the flip side is true. So we're looking for long-term funding. Yeah. Um, before we started uh, this interview, you mentioned in, in, in a couple of hours, you're meeting with officials from the Ministry of Agriculture. What is the subject matter of your meetings? Well, um, as you know, agriculture has major impacts on climate change and, and on nature preservation. And I think uh, agriculture until about five years ago got a pretty free ride in Canada. So we have oh, complicated comprehensive recommendations around how to reduce the climate impacts of agriculture and how to um, improve their impacts on preserving biodiversity and through a whole slew of largely financial incentive programs. Agriculture is interesting because it, it operates under, there's a five-year funding program from the federal government to the provinces, um, which is about to be called the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership. So we're trying to shape what's in that partnership agreement before it's signed and also um, ask for new funding on that side to help increase the environmental benefits from agriculture in Canada. Yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting. I was raised in a dairy farm, so I have this continuous uh, sort of curiosity or um, passion for, obviously, <laughs> like everyone, we all eat, so we all want to know where our food comes from. Um, how about th there's a constant discussion that always involves the federal government, and that is the uh, uh, fast trains along certainly the, the Windsor-Quebec City corridor. Uh, everyone says, oh, yes, that's an excellent idea, excellent idea, but it never, ever, ever happens. Either the budget is too high or I'm not sure what the, the argument is. What do you, does uh, the Green Budget Coalition uh, keep that in the hopper? We have not. I'm not actually entirely sure why that hasn't emerged from our groups as a, as a priority. I think the federal government has been announcing money to study it. I, I sense that they're kind of incrementally moving along that path. Yeah, there's con there's endless studies, and that's always just to punt it to the next, to, the next, to waste a few more years. And I remember, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, there was a study that found that having high-speed rail from Calgary to Edmonton would actually increase emissions. Yeah. Uh, so 
and I don't know how credible that was, but I imagine that there's actually some elements of rail increasing transportation and potentially not actually reducing emissions. Which I've actually heard back that. To the deeper question of behavior change, and we keep there's that there's that whole um, I'm not I'm missing the term right now, but as you increase efficiency, then people just drive more and leave their lights on and all that. Uh, yeah, that's the, the the paradox. What they call Jevons paradox. It's a wonderful thing. The more the more people who use it, the more if you make something cheaper, more people use it. So then you end up using the same amount of CO two in the in the in the aggregate as well. So that's for sure. Um, talk to me a little bit about hydrogen. Uh, there's federal government subsidies for hydrogen and. Especially so, it's and it's arguably also not a very viable. Uh, first of all, it's not an energy source at all. It's just a battery. Do you have any uh, input into that? Not an expert on that. My, my general knowledge of that is that consider green hydrogen a sort of sustainable option, and not and we're opposed to subsidies for blue hydrogen. Yeah, interesting. And now I'm sort of always curious about, do you have to play one government department off against another, or that's a constant juggling thing. The, the PMO and the, and the finance ministry has to, has to uh, get in there and stick handle stuff through various departments that, that, and step on a lot of departmental toes. That must sort of fascinate you as well in this whole, this whole uh, process, massive bureaucratic process. Yeah, there's certainly hundreds or thousands of variables in play. And so we're <laughs> we're trying to build support at the department for our recommendations at, you know, at Natural Resources Canada, Environment and Climate Change Canada, DFO, at, uh, Innovation, Science, Economic Development. And we meet with the Prime Minister's office, and we meet with the Kirby Council office, and we're just trying to elevate all our recommendations. And we meet with finance, too. And I mean, in the end, finance makes the decisions. I think the PMO has a lot of, or the finance and the PMO kind of collectively make the decisions. And there's numerous dynamics in play, and part of it's about good policy, and part of it's about economic, or I mean, good policy involves a lot of pieces. So it involves environmental benefits, but also job creation, also rural support, also political um, sort of drivers, and keeping the MPs happy, and <laughs> and balancing money between different departments and, and, you know, and that's just a starting point. So, well, and then of course there's the opposition parties. How do you feel about the potential that uh, Pierre Polyev and the conservatives will be maybe the next government? Will that completely, uh, are you pessimistic about that in terms of the green bubble uh, budget coalition? Well, I'm aware that under the Harper years, there was a lot less progress on climate action than there has been under the Liberals. Um, and, you know, we just, we haven't heard much from Pierre Polyev. So I'm hoping that, you know, he, that he will at some point, I sense he's a smart guy, and I hope at some point he'll turn his mind to climate and listen to people within and outside his party. And, and he has, he has said, he has said clearly that as soon as he's elected, he'll kill the, the carbon tax or carbon pricing. Has he not? Yes, I've heard that too. I think that yeah. would be a major step backwards. Yeah. Uh, one of our recommendations is around pricing certainty, which I think in essence would sort of prevent him from doing that. 
Okay. Because you can understand, I mean, part of the, part of what a carbon price is supposed to do is provide a long-term certainty over decades. Yeah. So when an industry is considering investing tens of billions of dollars, that they have certainty about the benefit of the carbon price. But if they think it's going to get kiboshed in two years, then That's right. that takes away a lot of that certainty and that benefit. Yeah. Um, you must uh, keep an eye out what's happening in the rest of the of the world as well. There must be tremendous influences that work in various countries, you know, because of China's manufacturing capacity for solar panels or what's happening in the EU with getting off of uh, of gas from uh, from from Russia. There must be tremendous technological research going on that you really have to keep an eye on and stay up stay up to uh, up up to date on as well for your budget There's, yes i mean you touched you you touched on a lot of a lot of geopolitical drivers around the world certainly suddenly we all countries outside of russia want to produce a lot more energy and in the short term fossil fuel energy which works against our desires to reduce produ production yeah and, and the the much cheaper solar panels that come from China is has been great in the short term, but it's also wiped out production, I believe, in North America. And there's a real risk if 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 production of such a central element of the world's operation is all controlled by one country. Yeah, for sure. Um, and same with uh, same with electric car production, because its question is at a certain point. Uh, the federal government will not need to subsidize electric car man, um, electric car purchases. There's a five thousand dollar a year. Same with Quebec and, and British Columbia, but Ontario does not do that. So those are all those are in the mix as well. Um, at at one point, at some, at some point, you know, uh, the the curious thing. I wonder what what you have to say about when uh, as soon as electric cars become uh, uh, everywhere then the, the tax revenue from gas at the pump will, will evaporate for building roads. So then we're going to have to start charging uh, extra taxes onto electric cars. So the, the whole idea of electric cars are, are cost effective or, or cheap is going to change as well. So that's, that's coming down the pike in the next uh, 10 or 10 years or so. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we, I think we're at some point we want to start charging mobility fees for electric vehicles, I think that we're still sort of advancing the illusion that cars are okay if they're just electric. There's still major resource consumers and there's still examples of real inequalities in our society for people who don't have cars. A couple yeah. of days ago, someone mentioned the, that they're looking ahead to when, when EVs start becoming 90% of the market, gas stations are all going to start closing. How do you manage that shift where people have gas-powered vehicles, but they can't find a gas station? Well, that's right, because then the resale value of, uh, of ICE vehicles, internal combustion engines, is going to drop like a rock because the number of gas stations is going to be uh, dramatically lower. It's going to be a fascinating, disruptive technology. It already is becoming fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, what else we want to talk about? Um. Oh, well, I mean, I'll just tell you that the coalition works just amazingly well. I'm always impressed with all the, uh, just the collaboration amongst all the groups on different issues and people have, you know, when you have 20 groups agreeing on recommendations and they come from different places and they all have to need to agree on 
one common path forward. And, and again, it's hard. I think it's easier to do on policy, but it's harder to do when you need to actually agree on, are we asking for 100 million or 500 million or 2 million this year? Okay, I'm gonna, we sort of have to end now, but I just wanna have a, a, get a personal question. What gives you the most stress about your job as a coordinator of this amazing coalition? What, what makes you stay up all night fretting and, and, and freaking out? Oh, just getting everything done on time. Cause there's always, there's a zillion, everyone has the last little detail they want to change in the document. So that there's like never ever, it's very hard to just close the door and say, okay, this is, this is it. So, okay. At a certain point, consensus must fall apart and somebody like you has to pull a heavy. Does that happen, Andrew? Um, you know, I mean, I make decisions mostly it's, it's sort of mag. I don't know what, what term to use for it, but you know, in the executive summary, someone, people understand that someone needs to make decisions. So it's a, you know, I consult a few lead people in the coalition and we make decisions and there you go. I guess it's around can, you know, people have major concerns are going to raise them. Otherwise they're, they won't, they realize they can back off. Okay, Andrew, we're out of time. I really appreciate it. This has been a, a fabulous. I've, uh, I, have a, I had a personal uh, curiosity for many years because I've, I've known you about how this all works and you've uh, elucidated and answered many of my, my uh, concerns and my curiosity. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Frank. I enjoyed it too. Goodbye, everyone. This is Climate Action Muskoka signing off. I went to the country to escape the noise and lights. And I laid there in the pine cones all night. I woke in the morning and all the trees were gone. I got this sinking feeling. Everything felt wrong. There were strip malls and dollar stores and 